Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura. Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. Today, we have a very important and exciting episode on vitamin N. You may ask, what is vitamin N? It's the power of nature in work-life wellness. And I have two guests here with me today. I'm going to start by introducing Laura Cohen. Laura is originally from Montreal, but she's now based in Halifax and lives a 10-minute walk from the beautiful ocean. For the last six years, she's worked as a counselor in universities, employee assistance programs, and private practice, including her own nature therapy practice, as well as works with my company, Canada Career Counseling, which is now coast to coast. So that's very exciting. Laura has a master's degree in counseling psychology from McGill University and a Bachelor of Arts in Communications with a minor in psychology from Concordia University. And she's become very passionate speaking, writing, and helping clients one-on-one around the health benefits of nature, which includes individual nature-informed therapy and outdoor group therapeutic services. I could go on, but we're going to save that for her to tell us a little bit more about the power of nature for people's mental and emotional well-being. Philip Van Houta uh, is based in Belgium and also spends some of the year in Austin, Texas. Interestingly, Philip was my first podcast guest back in the fall of 2020 when we did an episode on why does it take a pandemic to change the way we work and live. Philip has been a dear friend and mentor for many years. He's had a long and rewarding career in the ITC industry. He's passionate about technology and communications, uh, and he's become especially passionate about accelerating the realization of human potential. Uh, He wrote the Smarter Working Manifesto, How to Shape Work Styles in Organizations. He's a huge fan of distributed work, activity-based work, working in healthier, more flexible ways, which is how we originally met. Uh, And in his quest for health and joy at work, he became very interested in nature deficit disorder and how a lack of nature in our work lives is resulting in high levels of burnout, work-induced sickness, and a struggling workforce. So we're going to learn more about that today. Philip holds a, a degree in economics and engineering, as well as marketing, and he's worked across Europe and North America, so has a very global perspective on work and workplace. Welcome to the show, both of you. Pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I am very excited about this discussion, and I'm going to start off uh, with asking you, Laura Cohen, to tell us a bit more about what led to your interest in incorporating nature into your counseling and therapy practice with clients. I've always been, uh, you know, I've always been an outdoorsy nature person, but it wasn't until Um, I moved to Nova Scotia that I really was able to have more access to nature in my everyday life. It's just a very, um, it's just a beautiful city. And I, like you said, I live a 10 minute walk from the ocean. It's the city of lakes. It's just very green, lots of blue space. So it was, it just became part of my lifestyle. And I also just happened to surround myself with lots of friends who just happened to be environmentalists. So I just ended up learning, you know, organically about how to identify trees and how to do backcountry camping and that kind of thing. So um, it was just part of my personal life. And then when the pandemic hit, I 
it was just the silver lining. It was what kind of got me through those three years. And I was the fifth person in Nova Scotia to get COVID-19, actually. I was um, one of the first people. So it was a really terrifying, scary time. And there was like one or two weeks where you could um, go outside and walk if you had COVID-19. It was like right before they like implemented the quarantine. So that was one of the things I did. Obviously, I didn't interact with people, but there was like a little nook that I went to. And I just realized that it really, you know, uplifted me. And there was just an effect on me that I I knew that there was some psychology behind it. And um, I had heard about ecotherapy, but it was that lived experience that really pushed me to look into getting the training. And so eventually I went to the States and there's a center in Maryland where um, I went that was evidence-based connected to a university, but also that incorporated and that wasn't afraid of like the psycho-spiritual parts of you know, nature therapy and having that nature connection. So I, I ended up getting the training and implementing and incorporating it into my work. And now it's part of my practice now that I know the benefits of it. And that's what I really admire about you, Lori. You're a very holistic person, really building in the mental, physical, spiritual and emotional sides to your practice. And I think as whole human beings, th- those are all components that are important in, in our wellness. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that and being the fir- one of the first few having COVID in, in that province. I mean, that's, that's pretty, um, you know, intense at the time, I'm sure. But uh, here you are today. And again, it's so good to uh, work and collaborate with you, Laura. Now, Philip, tell us what led to your ongoing focus on nature in work and in life. Well, my nature journey, as I call it, is characterized by some ups and downs. Uh, my first work experiences as a young guy uh, basically was working in nature. I did some farm help, and then I uh, basically spent several summers as a postman on uh, a coastal area in Belgium. So I sort of felt uh, working comes with nature. Well, surprise, surprise, as soon as I got to university, nature went dark on me because uh, beyond being a professional DJ, I spent most of my time in classes and also in uh, studying in my student home. Um, I must say that starting to work, the professional career, was not a good experience either because I had to spend lots of time in noisy, polluting commutes and then had to work in rather dull offices with chain-smoking um, colleagues uh, that also uh, uh, didn't give me a lot of daylight. So um, it got a bit better when I started to live in the UK and in work in Scandinavia, where I got to appreciate, rediscover, shall we say, uh, the power of nature. And then, of course, uh, in the beginning of this uh, century, we had the smartphones and the mobile net internet coming up and suddenly I could start to work and was uh, released from the office cage Uh, and that started uh, a journey of experimenting uh, in working with and in nature. I'm going to give you some examples. Um, I had the pleasure of yanking uh, my 100 people staff uh, out of uh, ballrooms in hotels uh, for instance on the beach of Lake Tahoe. Yeah, uh, I did the same thing in Montreal, where I got uh, all of my team on a, a very nice boat on the St. Lawrence River. Yeah, And then I decided to give my people in Europe uh, beautiful locations for offices on some of the most famous rivers. For instance, I uh, picked up a new office on the Rhine in Cologne, picked up a new office on the Seine in uh, Paris. 
Uh, and then I had uh, a really joyful experience about uh, 10 years ago when I could uh, fully embrace uh, biophilic design in an award-winning office uh, in Amsterdam. And then about five years ago, and this goes back to when we met uh, in, in, in the US, that was uh, uh, Laura, is when I met uh, um, Rolando Bailly, uh, we uh, felt that we had jointly a passion for nature at work. And we launched in 2018 at South by Southwest uh, a pursuit uh, to tell people that uh, nature at work is pretty much essential for people to tap into their full potential. So you can see, um, uh, I would say, a downer sort of mid-career and then picking it back up, getting really annoyed by being inside all the time and then leveraging it to the fullest. Wonderful. What a fantastic story, Philip. Now, on to Laura, I'd like to know about how nature is such an important element of mental wellness. What is a fact or research finding that you find particularly, you know, fascinating or inspiring? Yeah, there's so many facts, like I could just go on for hours talking about the research, but um, I like to just always talk about first of all, like setting up the stage in terms of why it's important. And um, there's there's a study done last year that showed that 90% of Americans and, and Canadians aren't far off, but 90% of Americans spend, excuse me, most Americans spend 90% of their time indoors and Canadians spend an average of six hours a day on their screen. So, um, you know, we spend way too much time inside. And so there are, you know, negative repercussions to that. And so some of the, the effects um, that we've seen over time is there's been like a resurgence of uh, rickets, which is the lack of vitamin D that's resurged. It was completely eradicated. And now in Great Britain, like in the U most of the UK, in the States and Canada, it's resurging um, because of our plugged in tech culture. Um, but another thing that I, I like to talk about is that there's two studies that I find really interesting in terms of the benefits of nature. And so there's something called the Mappiness Project that was done in 2013. Maybe you've heard of it. So there was like third, 3 million participants in this one. And um, Greg McCarran, who ran the study, said that, um, or was looking at what makes people really happy once um, uh, income relationships and like general safety are controlled for like what makes really what makes people really happy once those are settled and so he found that people are least happy when at work or sick in bed which is probably pretty intuitive and the most happy when they're outside especially coastal environments and outside could mean picking up your mail outside it could be sitting on your porch stoop it could just be so simple as that um, and, you know, me being a 10 minute walk from the ocean and, and being so close to nature, I think has a lot to do with my quality of life. Like I really do um, think that coastal environments through my own lived experience um, is, is just a happier place to live. Um, also, um, there's a famous study when it comes to ADHD and working in nature, it's very effective um, and, and very beneficial for people living with ADHD. So there's a lot of research around around that particular presenting issue. And so there's a famous study done in 2009 um, that had children with ADHD who, um, it, basically the study showed that a 20 minute walk outside rivaled the effects of stimulant medication, which is kind of mind blowing when you think about it. Um, so that's why things like forest schools and you know recreational time outside is just so, so um, interesting to look at how 
beneficial it is. So um, further research shows that kids with ADHD who have access to green space just have better resilience, better quality of life, and um, are just have better mental health compared to their peers who don't spend any time in nature. So I think it's a really important uh, set of points you made and having John Rady, Dr. John Rady on the episode a couple of episodes ago, he's one of the foremost ADHD, if not the foremost ADHD expert in the world. And, and he said the same thing, Laura, that time outdoors and especially physical activity uh, is critical uh, to ADHD and mental wellness. And his book, Spark, is all about that topic. So, okay, my next question is for Philip. When it comes to designing spaces to live and work, what is biophilic design and how does it improve our well-being? Biophilic design, originally by Philip Kellert, uh, was identified to relate to 70 aspects, 7-0. I'm not going to rattle those off, but I found a gentleman William Browning of the Terrapin Institute, which has done a superb job of identifying 14 patterns of nature that need to be included, ideally, in that biophilic building that you're going to have. So there's seven of them that have to do with direct presence of nature. So, of course, that's views on nature. Then, of course, there's other sensory experiences that relate to sound, smell, touch, and taste, uh, if you want to go that far. Um, then there is the, I would say, non-rhythmic stimuli. That is all to do with clouds passing by, leaves and plants moving around. Then there is the direct presence of water. Uh, there is also thermal and air variability. You may not realize that, but we love it when there is a variation in temperature and airflow. There is also uh, the enjoyment of natural light. We also call this circadian light, which allows us to energize and to get back into kind of a sleepy circumstance. And then last but not least, we love seasons. Yeah? And therefore, the weather systems that give that change, no matter where we are, is important. So those seven that have to do with direct experience of nature. And then there's the analogs that we often need when we go inside, because we may not have the luxury of seeing those things directly. And that relates to all kinds of biomorphic forms and patterns that you typically see in furniture, furnishings, and decor. There is uh, material connection, that is uh, material not in nature, but retrieved, hopefully with minimal processing. So think about wood, you think about steel, uh, actually, and also fossils and stone. And then there is the complexity of nature that is often presented in uh, graphical illustrations. And then there is a, a third category, which has to do with um, the, the, how we experience certain uh, nature relations, and there's four of them. One of them has to do with, uh, with prospect, uh, and it's called the savannah uh, experience, whereby you're sitting slightly elevated and therefore have an extended view on things that give you perspective on what may be blessing or, I would say, uh, threatening you. The second thing has to do with what we call is refuge, and refuge is that you are... Uh, protected from what com can come from above or from behind. Yeah? Then there is the whole topic of, uh, of mystery, whereby you don't get to see everything and are very curious to sort of look around the corner figuratively uh, because you are, you, nature invites you to go and discover. And last but not least, there is the kind of play on risk and perils, whereby we all love that kind of infinity view with a nice transparent rail 
uh, or something like that that people want. So that those are the kind of 14 things that architects are advised to sample in. This is a science, and I would say that the 30 or so booklet, PDF, uh, free PDF from uh, Terrapin is absolutely fantastic because for each of these patterns, he actually sums up all of the scientific studies that have proven this stuff. And it's like a cookbook. It's the cookbook for biophilic uh, design. That's what I'm using in my easy spaces that you're going to be visiting uh, in a couple of weeks here at Bruges, uh, Laura. So uh, it's, it's based on that cookbook, Terrapin 14 Patterns. Wonderful. And we'll include that in the show notes, as well as the blog that will follow this episode. And we want to share as widely as possible the things that organizations need to be aware of when they're redesigning space, upgrading space. I think gone are the days of dark cubicle lens, or should I say, bright neon fluorescent light cubicle lens. Right, Philip? Yes, yes. Well, in fact, um, if you can work outdoors altogether, that's even better. You don't need to be in a building. I mean, my motto is try and spend half of the time of your work outdoors. And if uh, the weather is inclement or something like that, then go in where you don't have any choice, which is in the building. Wonderful. And today it's a very rainy day and we just moved offices. So my office overlooks the Mighty Bow River, it's called. And 10 years ago, the river crested and caused a major disaster in our city. So it's the 10 year anniversary of that today. And I can see the river flowing, but it's nowhere near cresting. So so we're, we're good here in Calgary. But looking onto this nature is so inspiring for me. So very, very happy uh, to be here in this office. Um, and I think our home offices too, we can choose to set up in our basement with no natural light, or we can choose to set up by natural light and looking onto nature, etc. If we have that ability, highly recommend it. So uh, Laura, so, so we've heard from Philip about space and biophilic, biophilic design. Uh, I want to hear how people like in on an everyday basis can build nature into their work lives to help their mental uh, well-being. So just a couple of recommendations that people can implement immediately would be great. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Kind of building off of what Philip just mentioned, like biophilic design is something that I often talk about with clients, but just the simple thing of just having, if you can't go outside or work outside, having a picture or a painting of nat nature in your home office, simple as that, actually has benefits on your mental health. It's actually good for you. Um, you know, incorporating any kind of natural setting, natural stimuli into your home office or your office, like you said, um, it could be natural light, it could be moving your desk to a certain angle, it could be having, uh, you know, soundscapes in the background instead of, you know, instrumental music, maybe, uh, you know, turn on the nature sound soundscape playlist uh, on Spotify or whatever platform you end up using. Like I do that a lot. I'll just I just want to feel like I'm outside all the time. So um, these are things that I've incorporated that I find that help in having plants and things like that. Um, but also incorporating, uh, you know, daily outside time, like a 10 minute walk, a 45 minute walk, if you can, in the morning before you start your work. Um, having, if you work from home, having that like quote unquote fake commute is actually sort of really good to compartmentalize uh, work life from home life. And so having that morning walk and also getting that nature connection can be really helpful for your mental health. Um, and so, 
yeah, it also helps you tune into your intuition too when you're outside and connecting with nature. Um, you know, I think we're often in overdrive and, and our, excuse me, often in overdrive with our executive functioning and overstimulating with, um, you know, lots of sensory information, especially if you live in the city or if you're working in front of a computer. So getting that nature time can actually create more space for introspection and creative thinking, like Philip was saying. So having a daily routine of that nature connection, I think is incredibly important. Beautiful. And that's a great segue to when you mentioned creative thinking. That's what I wanted to ask Philip next. So how does nature inspire our creativity and innovation? And how can we better use it to think of new solutions to the many problems that the world is facing today? Well, that takes me back to 2007. Um, when I was invited to participate in a survey that wanted to understand how I and several others uh, as business leaders uh, were, were functioning and performing in, the, in what kind of settings. Yeah? So it was called a study on work topology for know-how workers and managerial uh, professionals. And um, we were asked, what are the kind of two most treasured circumstances and moments that you would like to highlight? And there was a consonance that people said, it's all about finding spaces to think, and secondarily, interacting with others. Yeah? And then they worked that down by saying that the birth of an idea is most often triggered by clearing the mind by doing mindless activities such as mowing the grass or staring out the window. By passive inspiration of sights and sounds which are sprouting ideas. But most of all by being uninterrupted, alone with your thoughts and stimulated by real, not digital, world stimuli and that is producing creativity. Yeah, That was the first thing. The second thing they said that when the ensuing deep reflection then takes place, uh, it requires an activity to go against the reactive reptile mind. Yeah? So therefore you need visual backdrops like a garden or a distant view and you also need to be at that same time on the move as in walking or cycling which are seen to be the key catalysts. Yeah? Uh, now when I read all that and it was me feeling the same thing. I said, well, that's very clear now that know-how activities are largely impossible in offices, right? So that really gave me an enormous boost to work on that. They also said in passing that refueling during, during the workday is as important as before and afterwards, and that it is essential to have nature as the lead contributor to re-energize, refresh, and relax. And then on the topic of interacting with others, they said that joining forces with associates, partners, and also customers is best done in well-chosen, memorable places, which you agree with me, is equally hard to find in that concrete jungle. Yeah? And that quality time and engagement is therefore absolutely best beyond the dullness of meeting and conference rooms. Yeah? So that really got me going by saying, gee, this kind of unhappiness that I felt mid-career about being always indoors, about having nature relegated to the weekends and to vacation time does not make any sense anymore. And that was well before I had heard about the word biophilia. That came for me another 
like six years later. And then the science proved it. We all know that biophilic science is not even 40 years old. Yeah. So a lot of people have not heard about it. If I speak about it to executives and I said to them, uh, have you heard about biophilic science? They say, bio what? Well, I said biophilic, biophilip. No, biophilic, can you remember that? <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, it's amazing that this is a completely young dimension of human functioning and human organizations for work and life that still has to be broadcasted big time. That's what we're doing at this moment. Wow, that is, I mean, just just so interesting. And I think this the whole pandemic was a chance where a lot of people did get to you know, avoid the daily commute and the daily full time in the concrete jungle. And, and people are, are resisting to going back full time as organizations pull more and more people back saying creativity happens best in in an office and what i'm hearing is well not necessarily actually creativity happens best outside the office or with a, a nature um filled experience and having that time away from the clutter the noise and the overstimulation so maybe a blend or a balance of both if you know if there needs to be some office don't make it full-time office if you can avoid it well it's a good point uh laura because i, I was just reviewing a uh, sneak peek of uh, beyond hybrid working from andy lake you remember andy lake and he's basically saying that one of the reasons why people want to stay at home is that there is a higher propensity and chance that people have more nature around their homes than they have that in these um, urban concrete jungles, right? And that the kind of biomimicry that is being done by facilities managers and the big real estate, I would say, firms is a faint, a faint aspect of what can be done closer to home. Yeah, well, well said. Now let's talk about, again, implementing these ideas from the evidence, from the research. So Laura, how do you practice what you preach when it comes to building nature into your work days? Mm, yeah, so I go for walks most mornings. So I do my, you know, morning walks where I'm going to my favorite little nook by the ocean and I get that time in most days, rain or shine. Sometimes I, I don't always, but Usually I do. Um, on Fridays, if it's not pouring outside, I hook my hammock, my hammock up and I will work outside in the forest. <laughs> so Fridays are like my project dates, my networking day, I work on different non-client facing work. And so I get to do that, which is one of my favorite things to do. Um, and yeah, on my downtime too, like I'll go on retreats and I connect with like-minded people and do a lot of wilderness related stuff on my downtime. But throughout the week that those are some things that I incorporate and like I mentioned before like I'll listen to nature soundscapes or things like that little things to to kind of have a consistency with that um, and also the practice what you preach piece there's also this idea that you know we I think a lot of the time we see nature as this thing that's separate from us or that it's a commodity to kind of fulfill us and make us feel good. Like, you know, it reduces our stress hormones and we see it as something that's beneficial. Um, but the next level is kind of understanding the reciprocity and like, how do I give back to nature and developing that sort of deeper relationship with nature? And maybe to some people that sounds maybe a little hippy dippy, but it's actually, you know, if we go far back enough, we're all connected to some earth-based culture. Robin Kimmerer, who's this author, she wrote uh, braiding sweetgrass and a few other books. Maybe you've heard of her, but she talks about this idea of, um, you know, it, a very, very long time ago, it was like human nature to speak 
in terms of nature. Like there was some kind of, like the language people spoke, they understood how to identify um, different natural items and they, they, they knew how to, to connect with nature on a deeper level. And so that language I think is still missing today and people don't really understand maybe how nature develops and evolves and things like that. So I think what I'm getting to is this idea of connecting with nature, but understanding it, learning about it. And so that's something that I like to do. I like to learn about, you know, different species and um, read about, you know, the science behind it, but also kind of like Philip was saying that intuitive connection. And so things like developing a relationship with, you know, the ocean and the trees and, and, and even asking permission to like hook up my hammock sometimes and like having a conversation. Um, I know it sounds a little crazy, but having that relationship can look different for everybody, but there, there is something very basic about it, but very natural. And so um, these are things that I like to implement. And that reminds me of the indigenous uh, peoples. They they talk to nature and ask permission to build on nature. And that reminds me very much of our indigenous friends, Laura. This idea of uh, giving back when I was talking about like reciprocity and that sort of indigenous way of deep relationship with nature. One of the things that Robin Kimmerer suggests is gratitude. And that's a way of giving back and just having that gratitude for nature it creates space for reciprocity when there's that like gratitude that's been manifested so that's what I wanted to add beautiful and when you're out in the forest with your hammock do you have a desk that you somehow work on because I wanted to mention the not a desk is something still on my my list but what do you use Laura I use my lap. It's not the most ergonomic, but I have, you were the one who told me about Not A Desk and I'm considering maybe getting it. So a shout out to Not A Desk on the podcast. I'll be reaching out to you to see if we can get more of your desks to Canada. <laughs> Let's hear from you, Philip. How do you practice what you preach and build nature into your days? First of all, I think it's very important to, to be in the right places. Yeah, And I'm privileged that over time I've been able to select a couple of places which are fantastic. First of all, my primary home is in Belgium, nearby the medieval uh, town of Bruges. Uh, it's just uh, 10 miles from the coast, that's fantastic. And actually the work home, uh, which I built uh, a year ago, is close to the oldest European canal. Yeah? So the second thing is I have my second home where my family lives in Austin, Texas, and that's an apartment uh, which is downtown Austin on the Colorado River. There's two Colorado rivers in the in the United States, by the way. Uh, and I'm at the, the Town Lake Trail, which is absolutely gorgeous. That's a 11 mile thing, which in the morning when I'm there, I'm always doing with my cycle as soon as light is up. And then um, I have a, a vacation place in the Austrian Alps uh, in Steiermark. And um, that's the place where I wrote my Smarter Working Manifesto back 10 years ago, because that gave me, actually the name of the chalet is called Nature at work, right? It's a place where nature allows me to be at my best and I give it back uh, to the extent I can. So the second part, uh, and by the way, uh, there is a, a company called Nature Quant, which is giving a nature score to any kind of GPS location in the world. So you can have a score about what it is. Yeah. Then the second thing that they're measuring is nature dose. That's the extent to which you take the opportunity given to you by the place and whatever you did in biophilic design. Yeah. And uh, therefore, I, I, I have two ways of dealing with that. It's the habit part. There is the uh, Ozadi habits, yeah, which are the nature habits, uh, which are relating to three things. Number one, absolutely take mid-morning and mid-afternoon at least a half an hour break. 
right? Uh, to make sure that you energize again. The second thing is when you then go to work, integrate nature into whatever you are doing, right? That means, for instance, going for a walking and talking meeting, and I call that a weeting. I mean, we all know about tweeting, drop the T, and weeting is what this is all about. Um, we have uh, Martin Devan, uh, which is the head of one of the innovation and government properties in the in, uh, Netherlands, has written a book extremely detailed about what are the different types of business activities that you can do and how walking can be integrated into it. Fascinating. She's at long last deciding to put that into English because a lot of people would want to know about that. Um, then there is also uh, Beyond Work, right? I love gardening. I love walking, cycling, canoeing. And then every weekend, every kind of quarter, I take a special excursion, not necessarily an expedition, to beautiful places. And by the way, that can be as much nearby nature as the exotic destinations that we have in mind. Yeah. And then in terms of work rituals, uh, you know this, uh, Laura, I have four rituals which uh, have to do with work. There is authoring, which is doing your personal work. There is sharing and presenting, as we are currently doing at this moment, and then interacting or collaborating. And last but not least, there is energizing. And for each of those activities, there is a set of rituals that allow for well-being aspects and essentials and nature to be coming in. Uh, and last but not least, from a, a space point of view, um, I, I, I think it's very important that you bring in essentials into your work environment. Let me tell you, there's two things I have in my work home here. There's, first of all, the biophilic sounds, courtesy Mood Sonic. And Mood Sonic uh, is a company founded by Julian Treasure, which I call the Pope of Sound. He's written a book, Sound Business. And he says that what we all need is more water, wind, and birds. And he has basically sampled and recorded um, two dozen kind of beautiful places ranging from New Zealand, Australia, Canada, I think, too. And that's like a reel, a stream that is being produced, which is fantastic. My wife, Rosemary, loves it, particularly overnight, because she is suffering from tinnitus, and silence for her is uh, is absolutely not fun. And she says, how come we have in your work uh, home biophilic sounds, but we don't have it uh, in our primary residence? Last but not least, I also have, uh, I'm using a series of fragrances, courtesy a company called Aera, uh, which has a solution. It's like a, it's almost like a, a bit of a, uh, a, a, a I would say a, a mobile device that you plug in and it has cassettes with uh, fragrances in it. And they have identified for the purpose of my business, uh, five, I would say, fragrances that are ideal for sharing, energizing and things like that. So and in that way, you basically bring the whole fragrance aspect from nature inside, which is very good. So that's uh, that's how I uh, put the habits and the rituals into place for nature. Wow, that is so inspiring. And I can't wait to see your property in Bruges when I'm out there next month with my family in July. And we're going to film a podcast in an apartment that Philip created with his son to depict an ideal work and living arrangement, correct? Yes, absolutely. Countdown four weeks. Yeah. So keep uh, watching the podcast to see that. Now, Philip has shared several books and he's always a curator of knowledge, which I really appreciate. Laura, do you have a book or a podcast that you want to share beyond what you mentioned earlier? There's three books that I love to talk about. There's one 
called Hello Goodbye. It's a book um, on ritual. So Philip was just talking about it and it's in partnership with nature. It's basically like a cookbook and it's 75 rituals for times of loss, change, uh, celebration and transition. So it's this idea that um, it's secular, but rituals to incorporate into your life um, outside or with natural elements. And I think that's something that our culture tends to need is like marking the transition, externalizing any kind of change, um, whether it's like losing a job or losing a friendship or moving into a new home or naming a baby. It could be literally anything and you open it up and there's like reflective questions and things like that. And the summer solstice is coming up this Wednesday. So I'll be gathering with some friends and, and doing a summer ritual. So that's a, a good one to have. And another book is called Soul Craft by Bill Plotkin, which I've been recommending to a lot of people. He's a depth psychologist based out of Colorado. And he basically in this book, it's crossing into the mysteries of nature and psyche. It's basically like a roadmap for soul searching uh, using like Jungian psychology, depth psychology, and wild his wilderness experience in terms of like how to how to go into yourself and how to find your your purpose and um, connect with that more than human world. So it's it's a really great book if you're if you're into that sort of intuitive exploration and um, and 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 he talks about shadow work and and fasting and things like that. So um, the the last one is um, an article actually. If you don't have time for a book, there's a really great seven page article by Robin Kimmermer. She's the indigenous author. She wrote a, an article called "Returning the Gift," um, which you can find on Google Scholar. Or you can find it online. And basically, she just talks about um, you know the the gift of nature and like that more than human world and how to uh, develop that relationship with nature and and just a very beautiful perspective on on this nature connection. So yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So my two final questions that I ask all guests in our final couple of minutes here. Uh, number one, if you didn't need to sleep and you could use that time to do whatever else you wanted to do, what would it be? We'll start with Philip. Well, actually, at this very moment, I would like to have more time to go um, and have meetings with my grandchildren, Pearson and Vivian in Austin, Texas, or actually over here when they come over in a couple of weeks. Uh, because there is so much uh, that I would love to share with them that they don't need to necessarily digest and curate anymore. But also I would like to listen to them because I have a feeling that, uh, that they are educated in, in a very nice uh, school and that there's a lot that they can impart on me. So that's that's for me. Wonderful. On to you, Laura. What would you do if you didn't need to sleep? I would say I'd probably chase the summers and um, travel to anywhere that it's warm. Um, and... Uh, learn how to like live off the land. Probably I haven't mustered up the courage yet to camp alone, but I'd probably just spend as much as time, as much time as I could outside um, and read as many books as I can. I just have so many books I haven't read that um, I just don't have enough time to read. No kidding. As you can see, I'm a book addict as well uh, with a lack of time to read them all. Uh, my final question is if you could have one wish for a better world when it comes to nature, what would it be? We'll start with you, Laura. Going back to what I was saying before, like be able to, to connect with nature on like a deeper level and seeing the benefits of it and not seeing nature as separate and you know, maybe one day we can all start to incorporate um, nature into our work life. And maybe even I would love to see, you know, more industries and fields um, have like an outdoor version of a job. Um, that would be really cool. That would be uh, magnificent. What about you, Philip, your your wish? 
Yeah, my wish is that leadership of all kinds, people leadership especially, um, that is embracing uh, human dimensions, even well beyond biophilia, to a much larger extent in job and workspace design. Uh, frankly, it's pathetic, uh, the, num the, the kind of places that people are working in, that ranges not just into commercial environments, but also into some of the residences that they have. I mean, here in Belgium, uh, we're just going through a thunderstorm at this very moment. Uh, and uh, the majority of people here don't have any air conditioning. So um, having temperatures rise to 25 plus Celsius uh, is not unusual. And it makes people just completely uh, incapable to do that kind of stuff. So a lot of things to do in, in job and workspace design to give people the basics of comfort that they need before we start thinking about the higher order well-being. Isn't that the truth? Well, thank you so much. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground today, and I, I really appreciated both of your different perspectives. But what struck me is, I think a lot of what you're sharing is, is similar. Uh, there's a lot of lot of overlap. Well, there is also an institute that I would like to recommend. Uh, it's called the International um, Living Future Institute which is doing a, a marvelous job. And then this Nature Quant organization, which is based in Oregon, which is also, you guys are uh, in close proximity to some of the authorities in this field. Wonderful. Well, we are uh, feeling lucky to live in Canada uh, with so much abundance in nature here. And again, really appreciate both of you. I hope this is the beginning of a, a friendship and collaboration between the two of you as well. So thank you again for being here. And I look forward to launching this episode and the blog associated with it and to doing the episode in Bruges uh, this summer with you, Philip. So thank you very much and stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.com dot live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.